That's just for free right there. That's Um, it. That's it. Royalty free. It's time to shove the rug into that crack between the floor and the door, file your receipt from the haberdasherers, and pour yourself a mighty bowl of gruel. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Welcome back to the Talk Tall to Me podcast. My name is Oman Said. And I'm Nick McGill. We have been lifelong Jethro Tall listeners, and this is the podcast where you get to follow us as we, Dante-like, slog through the entire discography of Jethro Tull. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll reach paradise. <laughs> or at least Beatrice. Or at least Paradise City. Different different band. Different. No, is it? The Paradise Cafe. What am I thinking of? Par- yeah, Paradise Cafe. No. Paradise Steakhouse. That's it. And hopefully we'll make it to the Paradise Steakhouse. That is a B B side. Um, but that is one of my favorite songs, actually. I adore that song. It's so grungy and dirty. And oh, my God. Yeah. Makes me feel beautiful. <laughs> so today we are discussing the final track, including the bonus tracks, off of the very first album. This was. That's right. We have gotten all the way through Jethro Tull's very first studio album. You know what, Nick? It feels it feels like we should um it feels like we should celebrate. It feels like this is almost like a like a holiday for us. Like this is a momentous warmth-filled moment of our lives getting to the end of this album looking forward to a new album that's right almost like the new year is is right around the corner yeah almost like a christmas song (laughs) that that hurt that was rough (laughs) Uh, but we got to it we got around to it yeah so yeah this is this is uh, a christmas song um that has kind of a p- peculiar history. It never really, it doesn't have much of a home mm. in terms of, of where it fell in the pantheon of, of tall songs. Not unlike the baby Jesus. Let's have a listen. Not unlike the baby Jesus. Let's have a listen. Um, okay. You want an alt for that? Nope. Nope. Keeping it. Um, I'm keeping that part too. So how festive do you feel? Um, after having listened to Christmas song. Woo! I, I feel very festive. Um, I know that it is no longer the Christmas season uh, at this moment. And yet, wow, that song really does it for me. Really? Yeah. Go ahead. Go on. Um, you know, the thing that it's so, that's so brilliant about it is that it's, it, it's, the title of it is a Christmas song. Mm-hmm. And it is in some ways, an anti-Christmas song in terms of what is out there. I mean, it is the least like any other Christmas song that I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. And yet, it probably has more to do with actual Christmas than the songs that that um, that blast at us non-consensually from shopping centers during uh, the... All of November. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. Um. It's sort of, and I think why it's so refreshing is that it's 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 like an antidote to the 
the um the Christmas singularity. Mm-hmm. That aside, go on, go on if you want. No, I'm. I was just wondering. I think that Ian Anderson grew up religious. I think isn't there some? There's some references references in some of the later works to. Uh, it sounds like he went to either a, a Catholic school or, or a, a school that was some kind of a religious institution. Well, there's there's certainly um, a handful of religious references in Aqualung. Yes. Um, and in fact, that's that's a very, very heavily referenced uh, in pr- particularly, I, I believe, Catholicism. Um, but did, didn't he doesn't he dabble in Buddhism at some point? I mean, don't we all? I mean, no, but I still dabble on weekends. I, I think that, you know, I think that like everyone, he, in the sixties, he probably did his fair share of uh, religious exploration. But I, I do think that um, I get the sense, you know, some commentators have said that he's, that this song is, is a little bit uh, t- taking a crack at Christmas, if you will. Sure. Um, but I, I really don't think so. I think that it, I think that, what I get from this song is somebody who deeply feels the significance and meaning of Christmas and, and is recognizing the, the degree to which that traditional holiday is, is at odds with modern culture and how it's celebrated. I don't see why those can't be mutually or why those have to be mutually exclusive. I mean, yes, yes, I see your side of it, but I totally see that it's a crack. It's um, it's it's Dharma for one, but for Christmas, it's Christmas for one. But is it taking is it taking a, a crack at at the religious significance of Christmas, or is it taking a crack at how it's celebrated? It's I I'm I feel more the how it's just become consumerist. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't feel I feel little to no um. I guess, lack of a better word, animosity toward the religious side of it. Exactly. Exactly. I think that he's, I think that he's, it's almost, it's almost like listening to, no, I don't want to say that. I was going to say, it's like listening to a true believer complaining about the perversion of, of this religion. And, you know, I'm I'm not saying that he's, that Ian Anderson is, is, is Christian or believes in any of that, but that's the, that's the impression that I get from it. I feel it's more a true believer of Christmas if you took the religion out of it, go on. Just like the the goodwill, the 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 warmth, the family, the faith, the, the not just going out and buying stuff and and going to like midnight mass and and doing what has become um, muscle memory for a lot of people who celebrate Christmas. You know, right? It's um, it's it's more it's it has a more charitable feel to it and it's and i don't necessarily feel there's a thumbing the nose at those who do do it but it's it's but it's like like wake up sheeple like this is what it's supposed to be kind of thing well it's that it's that kind of typical ian anderson like pointing stuff out from from the corner Mm -hmm. yeah like subtle sarcastic commentary right right there there is as soft and um, gentle as it is, there is a sarcasm there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's quite biting. The Christmas spirit is not what you drink. Right. It's, it's not the consumption. It's not the, con- the, the consumerism. It's not the consumption in the, in the, 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 in 
imbibification. Im- yeah, I don't know. Imbibing? Imbibing. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to admit something for the longest time. Oh God, finally. <laughs> I've known for such a long time. Nick. I, I still love you. I love you just the way you are. For the longest time, when I was a kid, I thought it was the Christmas spirit is not what you think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Which also fits. Yeah. It also fits. It's just not the um, not the wordplay behind it. And then in the last verse, he actually gets really direct and really biting in his critique. How can you laugh when your own mother's hungry? And how can you smile when the reasons for smiling are wrong? I mean... Mm-hmm. That's that's is that's not a that is not a critique couched in any particular niceties. Yeah, he doesn't sing it with a smile either. No, he's he means it. Yeah, yeah. the 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 delivery is there, and it's it's um he he starts out light. Yeah, to kind of work you into it, but by the end, he's he's fed up with it it's you know it's it's starting a civil conversation and then just kind of not losing it but but um at least losing the civility a little bit yeah which sometimes happens around christmas time doesn't it yeah (laughs) depends on what uncle's coming for dinner sure uncle ian is coming um omen yeah nick if christmas song were a classic Christmas treat. Ooh. What would it be? Oh, God. And and I'm going to limit it to a food product. Oh, that's... So liquid. Very wise of you, cookie, I think. Cookie, candy. Yeah. I think that um, a Christmas song, if it were a, a, a traditional Christmas food item for consumption it would be the chicken pie that is taken to the local homeless shelter okay i can i can i give you mine i hope that you will not not my chicken pie i mean oh i'm sorely disappointed (laughs) i i think it's a hot toddy with a little more rum than you're used to so by the time you get to the bottom of it, it's like, ooh, oh, that's that's there. <laughs> spicy. It's spicy. Yeah, it's got yeah. a little it's got a little truth in the bottom. Yeah, this this I wasn't prepared for this truth. <laughs> <laughs> Too much truth, Ian. Yeah. Yeah, it's um and this song has been played over and over and over again. It's a classic Jethro Tull song. It's been with them since the beginning. It's been on a number of different albums. Like you said, it's never really had, it never really had like an official, official release. Um, but it's stuck around and it's one that they've come back to over and over again. Yeah. It's, um, it was on living in the past, which is a debatable album. We'll have to get into that. We'll have to dig into that. Um, it was a single. It was, it was released in, um, in 68 as a UK single. Wow. Okay. So they did release it right along. Wow. Think about that. In 68, the four singles that we know of, not one sounds like this was. Yeah. That's so weird. Why would they even do that album then? I think that maybe they were trying to document, you know, kind of where they had been. I guess so. Where they... To what end? 
where they this was. Where they were, they were, they, yeah. Where no, they they was to what end though? Like, why would your why would your freshman album be a sound that you knew you weren't going to be doing? Well, I think that you know, let's assume that they were recording it for their fans, and if their fans had been hearing them play a lot of these songs for a long time, they maybe wanted to own those that sound. You know, okay. sure, it's the sound that they started with, right? If you got two sounds, why not sell them both? Yeah. Okay. But they didn't, <laughs> they didn't, they, they, they sold the, the other sound album. in the net. Yeah. In 69. Right. Um, but I mean, you, you pick up one album and you listen to a band and you don't like it. What, what incentive do they have to listen to the next album? I suspect that they were largely selling to people who had heard them. That's, that's my thesis. That's my theory. Yeah, because what kind of coverage would you have? Like, how did singles work? Did they play them on the radio? They must have, right? They did have the radio at that time. That is something that we were able to... With a lot of research? Yeah, we were able to determine that the radio uh, was was a technology that existed in 1968. We tracked down a radio expert. It was powered with rocks. Yeah, you had to rub the rocks together and then put them in the radio really fast before they got cold. That's right. Coal-fired radios. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I'm, I'd be curious to know um, the the coverage and exposure that one could get on the radio at that point to to warrant releasing an album that sounds completely different to the four. Uh, singles that you put out and let's just reiterate one of the the first single was sunshine day yeah you know what's extraordinary um that you can fit a volkswagen beetle inside the heart of a blue whale did you make that up is that a real thing no that's true that's true it's the same i mean you can't it's if you hollowed it out it's the size of a volkswagen beetle yeah, so where 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 have we gotten to? What this this um this is a momentous moment. We have we have gotten to the end of the very first album. This was. You did it. We did it. You did it with us. We couldn't have done it without you. It was more collaborative than anything else I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> including the conception of my son. Um God. Ew. So that's that's it for the first album. We're going to move into a very different sound very quickly. Yeah. And and if you're sad because this is the last time that we're going to be talking about a Christmas song, psych, we're going to talk about it a couple more times. Yeah, where else does it does it show up? We covered Living in the Past. It is of course uh re-recorded on the Jethro Tull Christmas album. Right, but that's a long time. Yeah, we won't get there until like 2030 yeah at least i think that was a conservative uh estimate and that's not military time i mean i mean the year 2030 and uh there's a there's a sequel there's a reference to it in uh rock island in 89 another christmas song 20 years later yeah and we see it a couple other times i believe it shows up it certainly shows up as a a, a bonus track or something a little bit later on 
I don't, I don't remember. It's, it's kind of all over the place and he, it, it does get played regularly in concerts, I think. Um, yes, but yeah, it's, it's got legs, it's got longevity and, um, and I'm going to be honest, it's not one of my favorites. I'm just going to throw that out there at the very end for everybody. In there. <laughs> um, it's, it never really did it for me. I think it's because I've, I've never been super into Christmas. Um, even though this is like the opposite of the saccharine Christmas thing. Right. But uh, I think I do. I, I, I like it for the sound because it does fit more with benefit. If it's more with uh song for Jeffrey and um, love story. Yeah. So, so in terms of the, the, the bonus tracks, it just doesn't, I think, I think here's another thing. It doesn't feel like the final song off an album for me. I think if they put love story at the end, it would have been great. Well, and it's worth, it's worth remembering that, that it's not the, it's not the final song on the vinyl. And, and there is a bit of a disparity in, in terms of, you know, how, how we, how you and I um, were introduced to these songs mm-hmm. um, and how the public initially heard these songs. Sure. Hence our, um, our Jethro Cologist. No, what was the word you invented? Tol- Agri- Tolkienologist. Tolkienologist. Yeah. Since uh, our, our part of our, part of our job as Tolkienologists is to be aware of our, our own perspective, our own historical perspective and the limits of it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are looking at this 50 years later. Um, so the best that we can do is speculate in terms of the, what it was like at the time, you know, yes. like any, any proper Tolkienologist would do. Yes. Yes. Do you have anything else that you wanted to, to throw on there? Nick? Omen. Merry Christmas song. Remember <laughs> if you wish this is just a Christmas song. So that's it. That's the end of this album. That's the end of this podcast. That's This is not the end of this podcast. This is the end of this episode of this podcast. Right. The end of this episode. Valid. Um, so I'm going to do the, the normal spiel, rate us, review us. You're already subscribed. Thank you. We love you. If you write something fun, only if it's five stars, we might read it on the podcast. Oh, unless it's really, really bad. We might read that too. Yes. But still make it five stars if you could. Right. Um, what are we doing next week, Omen? Oh my gosh. Next week, we are breaking new ground. We are moving on to the, the second Jethro Tull studio album of all time stand up you're vamping aren't you uh, i was a little bit oh. <laughs> next week we are going to get into the very the very second no, that doesn't make any sense next week we are going to get into jethro toll's 1969 second album stand up beginning with a new day yesterday it's a good one and so in the meantime i'm omen Sade, and i'm nick mcgill we are feckless momes and this is talk tall to me I am I'm so excited that we get to talk about this song right now. You want to try that again without moving the mic while you're saying it? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, hey there. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.